This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Gains Podcast. Your podcast where you might be in over your head if you suggested a topic and no one did the prep work. <laughs> Fortunately, that's not this podcast because we are committed to bringing the awesome to you. And tonight we're talking about being in over your head. We're talking about where you thought you knew what was going on and there was a whole nother layer that you didn't see coming. So we are going to, oh, make a... Uh, Jump around a bit. We're going to go from game to game, talking about the things that can really throw things up, really change up the things uh, in the various games that the TriTech pro uh, game produces. And, of course, since the TriTech games have their mirrors out there and the other games in the uh, gaming verse, uh, I think you'll find this useful. Okay, so, uh, John? You might be in over your head when the person you're guarding says, I don't like this. I want to go home. And that person happens to be an intelligent pig. Uh, in Hardware Land, there's a scenario where you're guarding uh, a pig who's obnoxious. He's also intelligent. He's also intelligent and, and, and semi-anthropomorphic. You know, he still only stands like, uh, based on the pictures, he only stands like, like maybe three foot, four foot tall. But still, he can, he can manipulate things. He's got fingers instead of, well, he's got Fingers, like he's got fingers instead of hooves. Yeah, but these are like three, so but he's they're like, still stubby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but the thing is, you're guarding him. You're defending him from potentially the most dangerous person you're going to meet in the hardware hinterland, and that's Sam Butcher Boy Blackwell, head of the Blackwell Cartel. He's notorious for uh, well killing people, but he's also more notorious for not killing people. In a place where you can grow back, he knows how to take you to the point where you're not dead, but you wish you were. And he's in charge of a cartel. There's five environs. They're called the core environs. And they are New Akron, Almost Canada, Anson's Kingdom, uh, New Pittsburgh, Little Texas, and New Old New York. These are the, the main environs, and also just called nations. And he's involved in all in all five of them. He runs a racket, the Mafia Don. Or he's more than a Mafia Don. He's like he's in charge of a major drug cartel. Well, there's reasons to smuggle because someplace like almost Canada, now drugs are illegal. Uh, New Akron, hey, here, here, have some. He, he, basically, his cartel deals with theft, smuggling, bribery, and kidnapping. For most case, uh, the the I think kidnapping is just a sideline. Bribery, so you, everyone's got to do bribery, but I think his is more major. They deal with stolen goods, major stolen goods. And you smuggle drugs to almost Canada, you smuggle, you smuggle uh, books and how to read to Anson's kingdom. You know, there's always some place you can, you can make money moving, moving goods. A fence is built, and he's probably more of a fence than a, than a thief because you make more money uh, fencing stuff than you do you know, stealing and trying to sell it off. But he's also a bit um, psychotic. Uh, he's, you know, he's been known to kill people uh, just for fun. You know, so he's a psychopath, and he's well protected. Um, in my uh, Hardware Hinterland game, I was actually leading up to it. It was a slow burn. I call it the slow burn. You're gonna get in over your head. The players are getting involved with mobsters. 
slowly. Uh, in fact, one of the players decided to start dating a mobster's wife. Oops. Which, yeah, I, I figured that's the point where we will have the, the episode where they meet uh, Butcher Boy. And it would not be a pleasant one. It would be a, a, a fairly tragic one, in fact. So that's a situation where you can get over your head. Here's a person who basically, he's everywhere. He has people everywhere, literally everywhere. And he, if he wants to get you, he can get you. Take your airplane off of, off, off of, of uh, Noonan Field in New Akron? Nope, sorry. Uh, we we got to keep your plane grounded for a while. You want to uh, go to Anson's Kingdom? You've been barred for some reason. And it's because he, uh, his is more political. This is not fighting. This is a more politics, more behind the scenes. Uh, he's a criminal. It doesn't actually have to kill you to hurt you. He can just make your life miserable, and you have a long life in the Hollywood Hinterland. So he can he can make you he can make you a pro as a project, up to the point where you start getting uh, dangerous. And at that point, he decides, up oh, project done, and tries to take you out. So you, you you don't want to get involved in. Uh, I, I have to say this: I can imagine that encountering him for the first time, and you're not ready for him. You end up spending a lot lot of time being uh, fed intravenously while your body grows back. Oof! <laughs> like I said, P PTSD is rampant on this world uh, in Hardwood Hinterland. Well, that's your view, John. Who is this guy? I mean, he's a, he's a psychopath. So what was he before he came here? And I've been thinking and thinking, you know, I actually can think of one person who he could be because he disappeared all of a sudden and we never heard of him again. Uh, he used to work in Whitechapel. Jack the Ripper? In, in London, England. Jack the Ripper. Uh, I was thinking of that character from uh, Gangs of New York. Yeah, it would be just the same thing. But uh, Butcher Boy shows a large, a large amount of, well, he knows – the, a larger amount of anatomy knowledge. He knows the body inside and out. He knows how far to go before you, you know before he kills you. Uh, you know. True. That's why I was thinking of that butcher character that Daniel yeah. Day Lewis played from Gangs of New York. Mm -hmm. He knew how to yeah. take a body apart. Uh, remember, you know, in the hairland, what we can in our world, what we consider a fatal injury is not a fatal injury in Harvard Hinterland. Uh, you, you basically, you cut a limb off, the blood starts, starts stops flowing within, within seconds because it start, there's this healing process going on and it's trying to keep you alive. So yeah, you could be like the, uh, the black knight in my python, you know, missing all your limbs. You could literally do the black knight in, in Monty Python and it would actually work. I'm watching people get out of airplanes. They just jump out. Well, you can be killed. Oh no, no. Death is death. You can be killed by a, enough impact, enough damage will kill you. Yeah, but you can survive a, a shot to the head. As long as it does not disrupt the heart, the lungs, and the digestive system, you can survive being shot in the head. Let me, let me ask you this. So at what point do you realize you're in over your head with this guy? What's the, what's the trigger? What's, what's the clue? I mean, he has a reputation. Okay, so people know who he is. You realize it's this guy, and you go, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't, don't quite believe it until you start meeting some people who've met him, and you start realizing, well, maybe he is, and then you meet him, and then you realize this guy's missing a few, you know, he's a few little shy of a brick. So it's not just knowing who he is, it's actually meeting him. His reputation goes before him. You could probably, you definitely would, you, you might run to a victim, he, you know, someone he was uh, probably pulling an extortion racket on as well. I mean, he does do kidnapping. He does not have to guarantee he returns him intact. <laughs> 
we're all playing heroes. We hear about this guy. He's really bad. Okay, yeah, whatever. Right, so we're the heroes. We can handle this guy. Where is it that you realize, wait a minute, we may not be able to handle this? Mm, I look at him being, he's a, if you're talking about mentality, he's, he's up there with the Joker in terms of, oh, so yeah, we bust in and we, and yeah, we got you. No, you didn't. He's got you. And the next thing you know, you're, you're all in little, little, uh, red, little red wagons with your limbs piled on top of your chests. With this guy, you're not going to realize that you're in real danger until you actually are in real danger. How do you handle that? How do you handle that with this guy? Well, Peter, I don't think that's necessarily true because I think the GM should hand out hints. Like you capture somebody, you hear the guy whisper to local police, butcher boy, and they unhook his handcuffs and say, okay, see you back at the station house. They just walk away. So in other words, he, he carries a reputation like Kaiser Sose. Yeah. I mean, it, basically, the players got involved with the mobster, and whenever he talks about Butcher Boy, he gets really quiet, and he gets looking over his shoulder, you know. But he works for Butcher Boy, you know, so he doesn't want to cross him. So when the, if a deal goes south, he really gets worried. Right. Okay. Your, your best defense against Butcher Boy is to keep moving. Yeah. And the thing is, he's also well-connected. Uh, the adventure, I, I, one of the adventures they ran to one of his minions uh, was the deal with a uh, the transference of a large lightning crystal the size of an ostrich egg. That you could buy kingdoms with. So, and it was taken, and somehow they got out of Anson's kingdom. And you know the players never did figure out who the crystal was for. And I'm going, I know who it's for because they couldn't afford to buy one at Hanson's asking price. So they contacted the underworld and got and got that way. Any crystals that big to, for the for the project, and the only way to get them was to get them illegally. Well, Trav, let's uh, let's talk a little system here, since I know that that's something you're really good at. And we were talking about how to know when you're in over your head. Yes, I've got a, a number of things here that I think might be pretty good indicators, and maybe you'll back me up on this. On skill rolls, if your percentage of critical failure goes above twenty percent, does that sound about right? What do you mean as far as the number of times you roll a nat number one? number of times you're failing to succeed at skill rolls when you're trying to do something and it just seems like you just aren't being successful enough that you're maybe you're not the right guys for the job. Is 20% a good number for critical failures? And by critical failures, I mean failures where you can't just wait a little while and try again. You can't take 20. One in five, yeah. Because there are certain skills that if there is a chance for failure, you can't take 20 on it. Yeah. And if one out of five times you're failing this role, these critical failures, that can be really bad for you as a group. Well, yeah. I, like I mentioned earlier with um, my co-GM, Gina's husband, Oz, he has these grandiose plans and he just, the dice are not loving him. And so he has the, yeah, I'm going to cast a spell or I'm going to do this or, you know, fire this range attack. One. One in five, yeah, that would be kind of a bad thing if that's coming up. That could really, if it's like a consistent yeah. among the group thing. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that is that where you put the tipping point or would you put it someplace else? That could be a tipping point, yeah. And the rest of you guys, you can do the same thing for the Savage World system or any other system. Oh, yeah. For Savage Worlds, if the GM pulls out a D12 and a D10 and starts rolling them, you're dealing with a legendary character at that point. 
Yeah. Or a first level character who maxed out. Yeah, it's the only time you can actually get a D10 uh, for the wild die. Oh, for the wild die. He said a D12 and a D10. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, okay. you're in trouble then. Let's say you're playing a seasoned character and you do, let me think, what? Uh, 8 and 4 is 12, 16, 20. You do 24 points of damage and the game master goes, okay, or right, he attacks <laughs> without rolling any dice or anything. You might be over your head. I actually run into that in a game. A friend of mine made a Warhammer 40k conversion. And yeah, you basically when you have to do a minimum of 18 points of damage just to, to shape the, 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 the guy. That sucks. Especially when your weapons <laughs> only do like 2d6. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's like I had to explode on this a couple times. Uh, so that brings us around to damage. And... I was thinking that if you take more than half your total maximum hit points in a single round, maybe you are in over your head. Yeah. Or, or what's the one? What's the one that my uh, Eric, the enabler's best friend from college, Joe Casar, says when he's running a game? You might be in over your head when, after five rounds of D twenty combat, the GM looks and says, "Okay, you finally got it down under half hit points." <laughs> right. Or the GM and Sarah and Sarah's rolls. Uh, he shoots you with his weapon, and he pulls out five D eight and rolls them. And it's like, ah, yeah, that, that will kill your average uh, average character. You know, they have a, like a toughness of what six or seven at best with no with no armor, and the average of five D eight is twenty. Twenty two. <laughs> twenty two. Yeah, thank you. Twenty-two, and yeah, you, you know, at that point you're still taking. Uh, you, at that point, you'll be if you survive, you'll be at minus three to all your rolls after that. Well, it depends on how much you soak because they have that thing to take away wounds using the bennies. But you're going to be you're basically going to be emptying yourself of your bennies just to stay alive. Yes. Yeah. So exactly. I think that's a little bit too far, John. I think that I think they would know ahead of time about that. Now, if you're only facing one guy like that, that's still doable because we did that actually last night in a, a hardwire hinterland combat where we had a giant bear attacking a group of people, and he was you know he was doing that. He was knocking them down three wounds at a time, you know, and they were using their bennies to soak it back up to one or two and sometimes zero. The thing is that with so many people dishing it out to him at the same time, it was a hard battle, but they still beat it. So numbers come into it too. Number of opponents. If you have a, a bunch of things that are doing that to you, then there's no chance. Yeah. And actually you don't need a Uber Uber monster. I had one character who was basically pulled apart by a mob of mooks. I mean, it, I can kill one or two, but I can only kill one and two, and there's eight of them attacking me. Yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to mention, and that's the gang-up bonus in, in Savage Worlds. Every additional person who's attacking, the guy you're attacking, that gives you a plus one on your attack roll. That's well plus four, but still, that's pretty dang good. Well, yeah, considering, as you just said, most of the time you're trying to go up against a parry of five or six or seven, okay? So you don't have to roll very well to, to make successes. And the thing is, is that they can do the same thing to you. You have five or six natives, those wild men we were talking about. Even if they weren't as uber as you try, as you described them, if they were just wild men, if they gang up on you five or six per person, you're in a heap of trouble because they're getting those those plus four bonuses to their normal attacks. And they're fighters. 
that means they're probably going to have at least a six, probably an eight, you know, to, uh, and so it's really easy to succeed against your uh, defense uh, in, in Savage Worlds. So, yeah, if you, numbers is a really big way of telling whether or not you are over your head. And similarly, uh, Trav, saving throws, if your failure rate goes above 20% there, what do you think? Or should it be even lower? Oh, no, no. One in five, I think, would do it. Again, your your saving throws for D20, you know, your fortitude, your reflex, and your will, those often can make or break a game if you miss them. Because usually bad things do happen. If you fail a fort save, it's usually disease or some type of state, or in the case of massive damage threshold. Paralyzation. Oh, yeah, but I mean, massive damage threshold for D20, those of you who don't know, do Savage Worlds or the Tri-Tech system. In D20 Modern, if you take more damage, it, as much damage or more, as your con score in one hit, you have to make a DC 15 Fortitude save plus one to the save for every five over your massive damage threshold. If you fail that fort save, you drop to negative one hit points and you are unconscious. And dying. Yes. Reflex usually is you're dodging explosions or area effects, such as auto-fire bullets. Will save is usually things of an FX nature, spells, psionics, maybe something psychological. But usually your will save has to do with, you're not going to be doing a will save in a cop drama D20 game. Bureau 13, the will saves will be there. I've got a good, uh, you know you're in over your head for Bureau 13. You know you're in over your head when you're called into an assistant agent on a very bloody case and you come upon J.P. Withers limping out of there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a pretty good indicator. Yeah, you, another, that peeing on the fire calling in the dogs, yeah. And speaking of movement... If you have no possibility of escaping a pursuer during t- due to speed or obstacles, you may be in over your head. Yeah. Yes. Being unable to escape, to fall back and retreat, is a very huge liability uh, in any kind of a game that includes combat. And this can happen at low level or high level. That's one reason why I highly recommend, as a mitigator, make sure you have vehicles around. Stash them places. Or if you have that option that I mentioned uh, when dealing with the wild men, using a lightning crystal to, to turn yourself into a uh, Buck Rogers jetpack and just leap out of the area. If you have that ability, have something like that. They also have a lot of other things you can use, by the way. Uh, there's uh, mushrooms that give you teleportation power to another environ, another island. So, okay, things are bad. Gulp. Bang. Okay, that's really good to have, and you, and you did it because you knew you were in over your head. So these kinds of backup things, to put myself at a big distance away from the people, it's grinding my face, my life, my friends into the dust, is a good way of handling these kinds of situations and living to come back later and get your dues. But Trav, you know that in, in the D20 system, there's a lot of different movement rates. Well, yeah, there's, you know, run, swim, climb, burrow. And, but then there's horses. Horses naturally have, like, their walking speed is the, is the man, is a human's running speed. 
Yeah, I believe most horses are 50 feet per round as opposed to 30 for human and 20 for like gnomes and halflings. Yeah, it's almost double. Right. So, and I, I'm telling you that after playing 30 years of D&D, I, it never ceases to amaze me how nobody ever seems to have a horse. They're just assuming they're going to win every battle. That, you know, because you turn around, you run and jump on that horse, you are out of there. Maybe they could fire an arrow at you, but you know, if you didn't wait till you were down to your last five hit points, you're probably going to make it away. Yeah. But people don't think that way, and so the GM is forced of many t- either to be a real SOB to your characters or <clears throat> he's forced to give you a gimme, basically just you know write a, a DSX machina into the situation so you don't have a total party kill. And people, these are role-playing games, so sometimes your characters are going to go places that the GM did not anticipate you are not always to assume that everybody you run against, you can take. Really metagaming here, you're role-playing. You are not the one dealing with the slavering monster or the the gang of gun-toting thugs. You are in a... Fa- so you're not going to think as you exactly 100% would if you were really in that situation. If you were, you would plan, hmm, maybe I want a horse nearby, or I want these vehicles nearby, or always carry an extra gun or have it someplace hidden. Excuse me, hidden. Yep. So you're going to have that, not a suspension of disbelief, but just a disconnect where you're not going to really plan that because you're not actually in the situation. This is amazing. How many people forget how to use a lever? in D&D to get things off. They try to physically pick it up. I can't pick it up. Well, we were screwed. Uh, you know, you got a spear, you get a full crumb, you get a lever, you can probably get that thing up wherever you were trying to pick up. But now most people forget they have a lever. And I would also recommend that you play, as we do, with Stephen Woolett's Clockwork Drama Deck. Oh, yes. It has an awful lot of cards that can radically change the situation. If you're not a good planner... You know, and contingency uh, handler, you don't want to do that kind of, of preparation and such. Then having something like that where you can radically change the situation is a, is a, is a nice piece of your toolkit. Or the adventure deck from uh, Savage Worlds, where, which, had, which is similar to the drama deck, but it's much more Savage Worlds uh, tuned. It has a lot of same things to you. It includes it, only a miracle can save us, and that's where you get to do Sex Machina. You know, uh, the white horse shows up, so you can hop in the back and run and run away. Uh. Well, speaking of Deus Ex Machina, John, you might be in over your head if you come through the portal, if you're zero plot docks, okay, or you land your plane at the airport and you suddenly see a wall of water crest over the nearby mountains. Ooh, dear goodness! Now, depending on on the world. If it's hardware hinge land, you start running for it, screaming back in the airplane and get back in the air because that thing's full of carna whales and octopuses. And you don't want to be around when they land. <laughs> besides the tsunami effects, yeah, besides the tsunami effects. We had a whole episode on flooding and what that does to your adventure and how that can really up the challenge. And Peter did an excellent job in that. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. So I just want, you know, again, our listeners, please review that particular uh, episode of our podcast if you really want to get some ideas about how environmental effects such as flooding and uh, earthquakes and so many other things can radically change the situation of your particular adventure. And that might be entirely, you know, reasonable. Uh, uh, if you go to Krakatoa, 
uh, and you didn't know you were on it, it might be a beautiful, clear, sunny day, and then and there's a little bit of rumbling, and then there's more rumbling. If you don't pick up on the clues, all of a sudden, the big chunk of lava that, that burst out of the top of the mountain and landed in the middle of the village might be a clue. Yeah, or actually, from the scenario you just posited, I can just see actually a section of an environment breaking off and sliding into the ocean, forming a, 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 super, a, a super tsunami heading in one direction. Yeah, and it's like, ah, yeah, we're kind of a, ooh, dear goodness, because it's taller than the cliffs. <laughs> well, you know, they, they have high technology. I'm pretty sure that if someone dropped a nuke from NORAM into the water between two environs, you could get that kind of effect. You were talking about that kind of effect when they had the biggest tsunami that, that was ever recorded, and it was in one of the straits up in Alaska, and it worked because it was in a constrained space like that. Yeah, it was a landslide. Yeah, if an, environ, if an, if an entire side of an environment slid into the, into the ocean, it would, it would create a massive wave that would go right across and smash the other side. And some of these environs have mountains the size of Everest on them. <laughs> mm-hmm. We have that that lurking here in the in the real world. Oh yeah, there's a giant caldera that's a former volcano that's part of the Canary Islands. Mm-hmm. That's sort of perched and it's moved past thirty degrees. And if it ever slides off, it's going to be something like two hundred and fifty square miles of soil hitting the ocean at once. It's going to create a eight or twelve foot wave that inundates all of the the Atlantic coast. Oh, don't forget, there's the big crack on, on the big island in Hawaii. It's basically a section, of, there's this crack that go, travels for like, oh, I've got many miles, like 50 miles. And they say, oh yeah, and this is the area that usually breaks off and falls in the ocean. Uh, that one to go, if that one goes, it'd be just like, you know, massive waves all across the Pacific toward the west coast of the United States. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ah, we don't need that. I'll miss you, John, but there's not a lot else I'm going to miss. <laughs> ah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's aimed more. It's aimed more at the California and and the southern region. Paul, so. Paul <laughs> look at this way. It'll always be that chance for you to have that beachfront property you always wanted. <laughs> okay, Lex. <laughs> I want Australia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of these kinds of big effects, I mean, a lot of times. These kinds of things happen because a trigger enters into the scene. In Bureau 13, and I don't know about Hardware Hinterland, but in Weird Zone, there is the possibility of a demon and an angel showing up at the same time. Oh, yeah. And we're talking some serious nukage when that happens. Either of these two things are a big challenge, and but it's something that can be handled, I mean, you know, because demons, they like to bargain. Angels are generally good-hearted, but they are very strict. So, you know, they're both troublesome instances to happen in these games, but they're workable. You can do stuff. When a demon and an angel shows up, they just look at each other and they just like, it's on. You're the mice running around the trampling elephants as they, as they stampede. You are collateral damage. You just don't know when. Yeah. Right. yeah. Most demons, or at least most devils, are fallen angels. So they go, hi, you know, hi, hi Ezekiel. Why do you think they hate each other? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's personal. Yeah, it's really personal. And they may have fought each other, and they may have killed each other's friends. 
Well, you got the fallen angels who are jealous that they are still loved by God because they were cast out of heaven. And you got the regular angels looking at the fallen angels be going, basically, you're an embarrassment to us. So, yeah, it's when they get together, don't expect it to stay quiet for very long. It's going to nope. get very nasty very quickly. Right. If I were to do it, I'd be like, one would go, traitor, and the other one would go, suck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the Jets and the Crips all both walk into the same gymnasium at the same time, it's time to hit the uh, the fire doors, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the fire alarm. <laughs> They're like, yeah, when you turn around and go, so Pete, what do you think of this situation? Pete? Yeah. Pete? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what I think of it. Now, the GM should give you a moment to suddenly realize, okay, weird zone, it may be time to abandon your zero plot and hope that you can find another one to land on. And that's a, a good change that the GM may be doing intentionally uh, because you've gotten too complacent. Yeah. It's not a reason for the GM to basically completely annihilate your group. We don't want to talk about things that are so that are totally unexpected from the standpoint of there's no defense, there's no there's no recourse for you. Okay. I mean, these are situations where if, you know there, there should be some warning, there should be some opportunity to run away or something when it happens and we're just trying to talk about these things that could happen to encourage your gms to spice up your games and also to let you know that these things do happen and you need to be ready to cut your losses sometimes and and how to recognize what to do it well even in bureau 13 in the in the 100 when you roll the d100 for threats that you can have in the bureau it even says when you roll up god it's time to just take cover because you know, when he's coming in, it's like the billboards. Don't make me come down there. You know? Yeah. I came down there. Yeah. Mm. It, it, it's like, okay, that's it. I, you know, you disturbed me from a lot of extra planer stuff and now I got to deal with you children. Yeah. I got another, you know, you're in over your head. Oh, please. You know, when you're, you know, you're in over your head when Matthias Bolt comes to you and says, help. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and remind us who Matthias Bold is again. The head of the Brotherhood of Darkness, probably the major opposing force of Bureau 13. To the public, philanthropist, helps women, children, orphans, donates to charities, collects Nazi brains as a hobby, and probably has more evil magic at his disposal than any one person on the planet. As far as human, as far as human, he is pretty much considered by most bureau agents responsible for the massacre of 77 by most bureau agents. They would see, oh, yeah, it was bold. Well, he denies it. He has a very good reason for denying it. And and JP backs him up. Mm -hmm. There is one time JP had a 44 Magnum to Bolt's head and let him live. J.P. Withers doing this. You know there's a problem when. That's another when you're in over your head. When J.P. Withers remove, you know, lowers the gun from Bolt's temple. Yeah. When J.P. Withers answers your phone call, you're in over your head. Well, yeah, yeah. When you make the call to J.P. Withers, you're in over your head. I mean, he's the definition of being in over your head in Bureau 13. Yep. 
Of course, I remember that one when, when uh, in the older versions we still had angels inside there. The, the, of course, the other one, of course, is asking an angel for a lift. Peter, do you got any more? As a matter of fact, I do. You might be in over your head if you step through a portal and you find yourself in a room full of biomechanical eggs. And when you go to step back out, you find it's a one-way portal. Whoa. Oh, like a pocket stop. Oh. Yep, you're in a pocket stop. It's like, oh, we got to make it to the... It's a Meller trap, which has another portal somewhere else. And for that one, I mean, it's just like, find the other door, run like heck. Yeah, it's runtime. Again, that's where it's good to have some form of transportation that's faster than your feet. I mean, it could even be something as simple as the razor. Okay. <laughs> you know, the, those shoes with the, with the roller skates in them. The wheelies. The wheelies, yeah. There's these boots. That, it's like, a, like the, the, the bottom of a sleigh. And you can bounce on them. They show them jumping higher than a basket on in a basketball court. Those things you can get some serious speed on. I mean, of course, if you fall, you're going to do a face plant that's going to really you're going to really remember. But it's one way of getting some real distance if you're in that kind of a situation, and it'd be quite possible to have something like that ready to lock and load into your boots. Quick to the unicycles. They work. They actually sort of based on the kangaroo foot, the kangaroo toe. You know, the digigrade toe, because basically they store up the energy and they release it right back. And, yeah, you can run really fast. <laughs> <in those things. laughs> oh, I, I've got another one. <laughs> you know you're in over your head when the Tazeel is outrunning the Slarg. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you might be in over your he head when Hardcore Fenton Mud says, Have I got a deal for you? And the Grand Negus says, Really? <laughs> <laughs> While we're late, spanning the length and breadth of Star Trek with that one, folks. Yeah. Yes, that was why I did it. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, go watch some Star Trek and look for those characters, the Grand Negus and Hardcore Fenton Mud, because those are the most celebrated adventures. Uh, in the entire five or six series. I think we have given our listeners a good gauge to know when you're just in too deep. I mean, just... Yeah. <laughs> and what to do about it. You may be in over your head when that cute little creature you just fed after midnight goes, Mugwai. You might be in over your head if your battle buddy says, Here, hold my beer. <laughs> I got this, yeah. <laughs> That's right, get her done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for listening to our goofy rants about getting in over your head, and we really hope that you will use these as opportunities to make your game more awesome, to let your GM maybe go a little bit further out, put you a little bit further out of your comfort zone, as long as you keep in mind the fact that you know you you set up yourself able to escape these situations and take them you know with an, as an opportunity to say hey I just introduced a brand new amazing NPC for you to deal with here's a new race that's going to be a real challenge here's a new place for you to explore that is going to test your metal don't see this as a negative the GM screwing you over see this as opportunities for you to become a better gamer, learn your system a little better maybe, but mostly just 
try to raise the wow fact in your games. What is it? Bring it up to 12? Bring it to 11, yeah. And, and hopefully your GM won't go, oh, I didn't think he was that tough. Yeah, there's a reason in the DMG why you don't get experience points for something 8 CR above your average party level. There's a reason why they just said we don't give experience for that, because it means it's too powerful. There is a certain way where the, even the GM is just going, no. The big point to this is, the big point of when you're over your head, is that you can't always fight your way out of every situation. It's meet encounter, kill encounter, get experience points and take its treasure. You know, it's not always about that. Sometimes it's about knowing when to surrender, knowing when to run, knowing when to negotiate, knowing when to give up. Knowing when to be happy, tied up and naked in the middle of Hong Kong. Right. And Game Masters have got to remember to trust your players in that if they do surrender, you don't punish them for doing that unless it was just super incredibly stupid for surrendering. And even if it is, it's your job as a GM to make it awesome. Right, right. You know, it's like, okay... This isn't going to be a whole lot of fun for you guys, but uh, it could be. Let's see where it goes. That's where he sells you to that PGAC techno geneticist. <laughs> and he starts doing experiments on you that make you weirder and better than you were before. Right, right, right. And of course, in words, though, surrender. In about th- in most in 36 hours, you're not going to be there no more. Just make sure you don't have a hanging judge who'll go through his caseload in an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a good uh, time to, and I'm not trying to toot my own, own, my own horn here, but to go back to, well, the episode that Jay Haley and I premiered on, episode 24, Mission Failure, when things, you get in over your head and you end up blowing it because you're just up against something, that would be a good episode to also access in regards to this current episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Losing, basically. What happens when you lose? That, that was the episode that Jay and I started the podcast with, episode 24. So that would be a good one to access as far as this whole conversation here. Yeah. And remember, yep. you guys are not martyrs. So, yeah, when things get tough, run. Don't stand there to the last man. Yeah, you might be in over your head if you have to listen to every one of our podcasts in order to know how to be an awesome gamer. But we think that you can actually do it with a relatively small percentage of those. So we hope you do listen to all of our podcasts that you can. You can. And send in lots of questions. I mean, please, you know, the, the Facebook groups. Oh, let's see. Fans of the TriTech Podcast, Fringeworthy RPG fans, Bureau 13's agents everywhere. The Yahoo groups, uh, the site that you get this, TriTechSystems.Podbean.com. iTunes, I'm sure you can drop comments there. Give us a review on iTunes. That would help. And with over 200 man years of gaming experience, you don't even have to send in a question about Fringeworthy. We probably played your game, and we might be able to help you out. And we tell you what cons we're going to be at. I mean, come up and ask us a question. I mean, it behooves everybody for us to, okay, set a few minutes aside. Okay, we'll talk to you. I mean, and if you write in questions that we read them on the air, you might even get to be on the podcast, right, Paul? <laughs> Morning. You sent too many cl- questions. You're going to be pulled in. <laughs> Death does not release you, Paul. <laughs> Resistance is futile. But for this and other dire warnings, we hope you return to us next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.